From in-depth analysis of basketball and football to life advice, Ryan Russillo has got you covered on the Ryan Russillo podcast. Join him as he talks to some of the best names in sports while providing sharp analysis and wit you won't find elsewhere. Check out the Ryan Russillo podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors with over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond. eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance and with eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to this very special Ryder Cup edition of Fairway Rollin! The Golf Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your very excited Team USA starter, Joe House, on the line. This is a big event. Our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard. Our resident ringer golf degenerate, Kevin Clark. And coming up in a couple minutes, it's a big event. We got to have the data. Take that for data. Justin Ray will be coming on and breaking it all down for us. But we got some storylines to talk about. There are stories out there. Kevin Clark, Nathan Hubbard, welcome to the pod. Boys, let's jump right into it. With first, a very quick appreciation and congratulations to our buddy, Max Homa. How about yes. the homie Homa? Nate, how, how happy was the homie Homa? He's extremely happy and he's extremely dangerous. We'll talk some more oh. about Max later in the in the in the pod, but uh, Max Homa has figured out how to win, and that was really all that was in the way of Max Homa being very, very good. He has always been one of the most talented guys on tour. And I think, you know, not coincidentally him talking very publicly about what went on in his head for the past bunch of years has helped alleviate that burden. And, you know, by the sixth hole on Sunday, it was pretty clear to me who was going to win that golf tournament and wasn't clear to me. He was going to dunk it for Eagle, 
But uh, Max is a really good golfer. That's three wins, and he is not even close to finished. He was pissed to not make the Tour Championship, and in his first chance to come back and show what he's made of, he won a golf tournament. So watch yeah. out for the homie homa. That was hot. So the, we are taping this Ryder Cup pod, the Tuesday of Ryder Cup week, but of course we're talking about the first tournament of the 2021-2022 PGA Tour season because, of course, we play uh, fiscal year golf over here uh, on the PGA <laughs> yeah. Tour. And and uh, the, the homie homa won at Silverado up in Napa uh, where John Rahm caught a stomach bug. No, he did al- not. Allegedly, very allegedly. Kev Clark, did John Rahm catch a stomach bug or not? Nate doesn't believe it. I was there. What, what, what's the evidence against it? You just didn't see him bowled over, Nate? He was at French Laundry on Tuesday night <laughs> drinking $1,000 bottles of Cabernet Sauvignon eating rich French food. He woke up sick as hell and hung over on Wednesday, canceled all his shit, and said, I got to get out of here and get to the Ryder Cup. This was a lay down like I've never seen anybody lay down. And he's supposed to be the best player on the European team. What was he doing there? Wow, shots fired. I didn't expect this house. The um, fire out of Nate. He's fired this up. This is, should Nate be a Ryder Cup vice captain? <laughs> there's, there's no, look, there's no limit on the number of vice captains. So Nate's definitely eligible. Yeah. I mean, I just really think if we're going to start firing volleys, I think Nate just fired the first one. Game on. My favorite thing about that is is that, of course, he went to French Laundry. Of course, he drank as much wine as he could pour down his his gullet. And, of course, he immediately flew to Whistling Straits thereafter. Like, what else is he supposed to do? He's living his best life. Right, Kev? Well, well, why didn't he just go to French Laundry on a Tuesday night? I think, mean, why, why enter the golf tournament in the first place? Is it just things got out of hand? That's the question. This one, Phil has always been very close to this tournament. And I have the sense that this was a favor to Phil, who who was there and played. But I mean, there wasn't anybody else uh, who's going to touch uh, the state of Wisconsin at Napa this past weekend. So I, it's a, it was a very confusing announcement when it happened. But just as you think about betting and and the status of everybody's game and it was weird to see John Rom. Now, it was no surprise that when he made the turn on Friday to beneath the cut with four birdie holes left, he immediately made a bogey and you knew he was out. I mean, he was he he, he had fired up the net jet and, and was ready to get out of there. But I, I it does in, enter some real intrigue into this week because he's not sick. He was hung over. He never was sick. No, but the game was not great in Napa. It wasn't great. Ah, come on. Come on. I don't put anything. He's the best player in the world. He can turn it on and turn it off. I don't have any concerns whatsoever about John Rama, what he's going to show up with. Kevin, what do you think about uh, what John Rama is going to show up with this week? Okay. So I was playing around with the data and I am taking a back seat on the data train on this podcast to our friend, Justin Ray. And I can't wait to hear what he has to say, but the number one, According to Data Golf, the number one course similar to Whistling Straits, it's Torrey Pines. Oh. And and he is so so it's just so everybody knows, five of the six course fits, top course fits for players in the Ryder Cup are Americans. Uh 10, 11 of the top 12, I think, or 10 of the top 11. Um, Rom and Rory are the two holdouts. I'm expecting Rom to be a total alpha 
I'm expecting him to play out of his mind. And I'm expecting that, and I don't want to spoil anything, I'm expecting that not to matter. Like, I'm expecting Rom to maybe be the best ball striker in Wisconsin this week, but it it not actually playing into the final result. Okay. I love it. Well, look, I, I got a little bit ahead of ourselves because Nate is trying to stir up some Rom controversy right out of the box here. So the last time we were convened on this podcast was a recap of the tour championship. And I, I announced uh, unceremoniously to Nate that Patrick Reed was going to be a member of the U S team. Um, and then the selections were made and announced afterwards. And Patrick Reed was excluded from the team. So I would like to just take a little bit of credit for um, reverse you know, jinxing that the, the, the whammy on the whole thing, because deep down inside, Nate, we weren't really rooting for Patrick Reed to be on this team, right? If we're being honest. No, we weren't. I, I have seen a lot of the Rory versus Reed video where Rory drains the bomb goes absolutely bananas and then Reed drops the putt on top of him and gives him the Dikembe finger wag. <laughs> I, I, it, it did not make me go, Oh, we should have picked him. I still look, I don't want to, I don't want to tip the hat too much, but I think what Stricker did was he picked the guys who were going to be best for this course. Patrick Reed was not playing well. He has not been playing that well. He didn't earn that spot. And at some point, especially as we now look at this European team, which is downright geriatric, you got to be thinking about the future of this team in these international competitions going forward. And so I like the choice that Stricker made in pulling in Scheffler. And on top of that, as we see today, who was paired for the press conferences and who is playing a practice round together. Lo and behold, the, in the foursome off one, the first one off today for the U S and the practice round was none other than JT and Spieth with Bryson and Scotty Scheffler. They are throwing the rookie who has none of the drama around him and is just really fucking happy to be here. They are throwing him to the wolves, making him Bryson's partner, assuming that because Scheffler went to Texas and Bryson lives in Texas, maybe that's enough of a connection for them to stumble through a pairing together and get it done. They needed somebody to take away some of the drama, and Scheffler is the wide-eyed, bushy-tailed new kid was the right pick. Well, Nate, I, I don't, don't, let's not uh, be so dismissive of, of Team Captain Stricker and, and all of the uh, intelligence that he's, Put to put to good use in building out, you know these. Now there there is a pre existing relationship between Scotty Scheffler and Bryson DeChambeau. In fact, if you go back, you have to go deep into the internets to find some of this. Scotty Scheffler identified Bryson DeChambeau as the second best ping pong player that he encountered uh, on tour, and this is a you know a handful of years ago. So it's clear that they've at least been on opposite sides of the ping pong table. You know what happened, Kevin Clark? You know what happened. Jordan Spieth, Michael Jordan to Isaiah Thomas, him off the team. <laughs> Jordan oh, wait, wait, Spieth wait. made now the you're, call. You're talking about Patrick Reed's exclusion. Yes, but yes. but he wanted Scheffler because of the UT connection. And they sure, deep sixed sure. him. 
Sure. And, and Scheffler can make a, a bunch of birdies and is a course fit and all that stuff. I will say Patrick Reed helped that case by being Patrick Reed over the past couple of weeks and months. Yes. And I think that that, I don't think this, if he was trying to keep Brooks Kepka off the team, it's a different conversation. Okay. Yeah. Like Pat, yeah. Patrick Reed helped Spieth's case. Now, um, I agree with the, the the Steve Stricker stuff. I mean, I, from what I understand, he's doing the analytics stuff that we've we've all. I mean, like you know, Paul McGinley, who by the way is available for podcasts. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Paul McGinley's been on every podcast on the planet right now. I, I think he's on the Ringer Fantasy Football Show this week. Um, but he uh, he he's been talking about analytics for for nearly a decade now, and I think everybody's been saying, "When does America catch up to this? When does America catch up with this?" And I I think that. Now I hear Stricker's doing that. He's widening the fairways. That was one of the first things he was doing at Whistling when he got there uh, a couple of years ago. The fairways have been widened. Um, I think that that this has the chance to be, and I listen, everything favors, the depth of the squad favors the Americans. Um, just when this is being played favors the Americans as far as, far as form of some of these guys go. But I think we might be looking at a, a really good captain in Steve Stricker. Okay, Kev. So I want to pick up on on that point. Go ahead, Nate. You finish your thought, and then I, I have a big picture question to ask. Well, ask the question because because I want to hear from Kevin. I mean, you're using Data Golf as a source on this, and we love the Data Golf guys. <laughs> if you are a golf fan and you're not looking at Data Golf, you are crazy. But speaking of Napa, Data Golf had Max Homa at a less than three percent chance to win that golf <laughs> tournament on Sunday through five fucking holes, and. So I just don't know. Like at some point you got to step out and look at the macro picture, which house I think you have a question about. No, that's not a data golf indictment to say that not Max only had a 3% chance. That's just win probability but there's stuff. No that's just an algorithm. Metric. Why are you arguing with that? There's no heart yeah, metric well, that's, in that. That's Offline, true. That's, that's, we'll talk this to is one of your favorite. Yeah, we'll talk to JR. You always ask JR about the heart metric. And I, I believe in the heart metric. I think it's very... Uh, sensible, especially in this unique team event, team environment. But the big picture question that I want to ask you guys, and, and I'll start with Kevin first, there was a deliberate effort to rebrand this team. Six rookies, oldest guy, DJ at 37 years old, next oldest guy, Harris English at 32. Now it's helpful to have the top six guys, uh, you know, all the automatic qualifiers be young guys. And that's just the state of American golf right now. But the idea of rounding out the top six with another six, six rookies is, is nearly unprecedented for the U S team. Uh, we had it, we had a, something like that in 2008, I believe, um, and you know, if you look back and look at the quotes from the 2008 guys, they talked about how fresh it was that they, they, they were all unafraid. They were ready to just go out there and, and, and play their games. They were not cowed by the mystique and they weren't, uh, they were just, just unfettered and, and ready to go do stuff. What do you think, Kevin? I think that the the sort of passing of the torch now, people have been talking about this all week between the Tiger Phil era of golf to this era where, I mean, there's realistically 10 or 12 guys you could have put on this team on the back end who would have been young and new and fresh. 
And that is what's exciting to me, is taking advantage of the depth that America has. And I think that they, it's a bunch of young guys. They're super confident. I mean, I am concerned. I'm sure we'll get into the Bryson Brooks thing. I am concerned about that. But I think they can, as Brooks said, press pause on it for, for one week. Um, I'm excited about this about this this youth movement. And I think it, it, I think that the, the the Team USA captain will not be doing their job in the future if they don't have a steady cycle of young guys who are ready to go, because that's what golf is. That's what modern golf is now. It's a bunch of 22-year-olds who can hit at 350 uh, whenever they want. And if you're taking advantage of American courses and playing at Whistling, they're, they're doing that. Um, I think that there's there's just going to be more of this. This is the future. A bunch of rookies is the future. And, and we're going to be talking about this Ryder Cup as maybe a, a new standard for how American teams are built, where you have a bunch of young guys. Now, the one concern for me is kind of what we're talking about with the heart the heart rate or whatever you want to call it, the heart, heart metric. Um, because old men are really good for a reason in some of these situations. I remember one of the things I remember like about sports and old men and all this stuff for, for, for the rest of my life would be in 2010, I was covering a Nets game and Avery Johnson was talking to Doc Rivers and they had Derek Favors on the team. He was a rookie. It was his first preseason game or one of them. And Avery's working somehow with Doc and you can see they're like coming to an arrangement of something, some sort. So after the game, someone says to Avery, what were you talking about with Doc? And he said, I wanted Kevin Garnett to play against Derek Favors the whole game because Derek Favors needs to know what an old man trick is. Like what just, just how does it, how does an old man play basketball? That's what he needed to know. And that's kind of how I feel like what, what's going to happen when some of these 21 year olds are coming down the stretch against a 37 year old who's done this a million times. That's the only concern for me, but I love the depth. I love the way they play. I, I I'm excited for the team USA here. Well, we learned a little bit about old man tricks from that very compelling Brooks Kepka interview that appeared this week. House, what was it? Golf Digest? Golf Digest, yep. Uh, and where Brooks was very direct about the fact that Phil Mickelson used old man tricks on him at Kiowa to, you know, accelerate and then stall down the pace of play and apparently some other things too. So I, I don't put the old man tricks stuff aside, but I do have to say, like, what the hell is worth preserving? We've been getting our ass kicked. It seems yeah. right. like... The most right. obvious thing to right. do is to flush the system yeah. in in not, you know, not only this age of new golfers, but also like there is this age of individualism that is upon us. You know, I, I mean, there's some guys on this team who have definitely verbally committed to the PGL. My concern about this week is can they pass on this lore and mystique of the Ryder Cup to this new team. The media sure cares about it. There's a massive media love with this event. The fans definitely love it. But man, going back to that Kepka interview, it sure doesn't feel like the players love it as much on the U.S. side. Now, whether that matters is going to be the interesting question. And if, as I'm going to argue, the U.S. is going to fucking annihilate Europe this week, it could kind of undercut What's cool about the Ryder Cup? I mean, there, there are these videos today on the tee of Sergio and Rory imitating Ronaldo's gold dance. Like, there's nobody on the U.S. team who's going to be, like, hugging and hanging out. Now, maybe this isn't a camping trip, so it doesn't matter. But I think there's this weird... Kev, you nailed it. There's this passing of the torch 
Certainly the skill players are going to play well, but the question is, does that camaraderie and bond that has made up so much of that lore, does that get passed on and will it matter to these kids who've come up in that age of individualism? So Kev, let, let me ask you in, in, in this following way, um, Nate, Nate's the, the point that I think Nate is driving at. For sure, the overall point that Nate is making has some resonance, but I think Nate is wrong about the two most important players on the team who to me are Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. They are the leaders. They have the spirit. They have the Ryder Cup infection. They know what's important. They have the, all of, of the patriotism that goes along with it. They get the Ryder Cup and they are going to be champions and stewards of the Ryder Cup going forward. My question to you, since we're talking about Brooks Kepka, who is clearly a very important player to this team, can one guy or one dynamic submarine what the the overall you know kind of spirit of the of the team might be that Jordan and 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 JT are going to be imparting? I mean, do you agree with me that Jordan and JT are the guys that really are the leaders of the team? No, I think it's Colin Morikawa because he's the best player. And, and <laughs> that's a great point. So, I love it. So I, I think, by the way, the back injury, I mean, I saw, I was looking at the, I was doing research yesterday and I saw yeah. there was a headline on August 20th that Morikawa was like, my game's all out of whack because of my back. And then 10 days later, the headline was Morikawa says he has no, no more back issues. And it's like, well, well I, I don't know. That's not really how back issues work. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That's really, if you've ever had back problems, you know, that Fing- it doesn't go from crisis crossed. mode to yeah. totally fine in 10 days. I think it's interesting because the more I think about it, when you do research on old Ryder Cups and it's like, oh, well, this guy's in the team because he can make this shot or he has this shot in his bag. Modern golf is such that so many of these guys have every single shot in their bag. And, and that, to me, has, has changed everything a little bit, unless you're you know, terrible around the greens or whatever, or, or you're a better putter or whatever. But um, the, the culture thing is interesting to me because as someone, I, I, I think, I'd like to think that I study culture in sports a lot. And, and I understand how locker rooms work and, and why teams win and lose games. But I also know that culture only matters if it's close. And I think that you can put it, I think the American team is built as such that they can just hit it long off every tee. They can have a bunch of iron guys who can hit it close on the the approach shot and they can win and culture has nothing to do with it. And and I think that's that's kind of what you have to hope for. Uh, you know, the Brooks thing where he told KVV, like, yeah, we'll press pause for a week. That concerns me because that's going to be in the back of Bryson's head all week is, oh, my God, is Brooks going to make a TikTok video of me on next Wednesday? I don't know. I mean, Bryson's a sensitive guy, although Bryson's doing the long drive thing after this. So maybe he's just yeah. locked in on that. Um, yeah. But I I think that. I think that the culture thing was going to be overblown this week. I mean, everyone, the, the whole thing, first of all, this is an interview with Claude Harmon, I think it was the other day. And he was saying there, or maybe it was actually Paul McGinley, but they were saying, you know, there's this myth that all the <laughs> Europeans are actually best friends. And that's just not true. That's just because we compare it to the Americans who yeah. all have their, their own agendas and, and sometimes they hate each other, whatever. It's not like the, 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 the European team just spends the entire year going out as a, as a 12 dinner group, you know? Um, so I think that there's, I think the culture aspect of it can be overblown. And I also think that we we assign culture backwards. You know, we say, oh, this team won because they were a cohesive group. And it's like, no, they won because of this approach shot, because of this chip, because of this guy off the tee. And then we look back on it and we, we assign a task force and we, we assign good vibes going backwards. Well, 
But look, you're right that nobody's super excited to hang out with Bernd Wiesberger. But I, I also think we just saw this morning, Bryson came out and said, hey, I've had a couple of good conversations with Brooks and we've got something wink, wink coming, which is very clearly the match in November. Is it not, House? That's 100% yeah. what, what's so, coming. So, so they they have been communicating and and maybe, you know, letting a little of the air out of the balloon. But I, I think we're going to find out if culture matters, Kevin. I mean, I, look, here's a team of guys from the U.S. who I think at worst lose 16 to 12, who did not even make this Ryder Cup. Put Reed, Horschel, Webb Simpson, Zalatoris, Homie Homa, who's on fire, Sam Burns, Kevin Kevin Na. Na. Jason Kokrak, old man Charlie Hoffman and Stuart Sink, Russell Henley and, uh, you know, uh, fucking Mark Hubbard. He beat Raman Napa last week. That team can play on paper with this European bunch of old guys and Raman Rory and Victor. But, like, I, I think we're going to find out this week if if that culture matters. Because if the U.S. team doesn't win, they have to reset the approach. This team is so much better on paper. There's no excuse. It will only mean that culture's the problem. I I, I disagree with you. Um, Tell I me. Think, well, because the the European team can just come out and, and and play better, and it might not have anything to do with culture. I mean, it's going to be hard afraid of? to draw. I mean, John Rom's pretty good. Rory has a good uh, Ryder Cup record. Sergio Garcia has a decent Ryder Cup record. Ian Poulter's he, been decent in the Ryder Cup before. I mean, what do you? I'm not afraid of anybody, but but I think you know the the the, the basic rise to the moment um, and the the experience does matter. Thing that I'm most interested in, I'm super curious about getting a reaction from the two of you. And this goes to a point made at, at the outset about um, you know whistling straights as as a destination and and a fit for for a particular group group of golfers. Nobody's played this golf course the third week of September on the on, on the lake, right? We don't have any data uh, of professional golfers under those circumstances. Now, is it uh, overdoing it to say that the Euros might be might be slightly advantaged by the fact that the temperature is going to be cold? It's going to be barely touching 50 degrees when some of the morning rounds go off, if if they get there. Is it overdoing it to say that the European team will have more experience with Lynx-style golf? Will it be overdoing it to say that the European team is going to be more accustomed to playing in steady winds that are going to be averaging 20 miles an hour and they're going to change day to day? The direction's going to change? Am I overdoing it in terms yeah. of thinking about the Euros having an advantage there, Kev? I, I, I just wish that the Americans had the top two guys in this year's British Open. I just wish there was some way to have gotten those guys on the team. Oh, wait, we do. It's Colin Morikawa and Jordan Spieth. They did okay. And Bruce hey, Kepka well, was in the top 10. They let's did, talk about the Dan, weather. Daniel Berger. Daniel Berger, Dustin Johnson, Scotty Scheffler. Pull up the real weather from that event. Pull it just, just real quick. I mean, it relatively if, it was mild. Not, if it was basically playing like in San Diego... On a on a July Sunday <laughs> where there's no breeze whatsoever. I mean, seriously, it could not have been more dissimilar from what an open championship tends to deliver. House, you know what's happening right now. You bet on Team Europe a long time ago. You I are, mean that 
reverse justifying it right now. No, I'm not. I'm doing no uh, such thing. Are you hedging and your mind at all on this bet, or do you still believe Europe is going to beat the U.S.? I believe that Europe is going to beat the U.S., but uh, that doesn't mean that I won't make actual hedges, that I won't go out and look for individual value matchups Thursday, I mean, Friday, Saturday, as we see the uh, matchups announced. And if there's if I perceive value, I'll definitely be be betting it. I'm not afraid at all to, to hedge on my overarching euro bet. I mean, part of that euro bet when I made it had to do with, you know, health concerns had to do with this yeah. the weirdness of the dynamic. There's all kinds of reasons there, why yes. I think it's just a basic, like you, the, Europe is now getting better than two to one odds. Europe has won uh, uh, five of the, the seven of the last nine and, and nine of the last 12, seven yeah. of the last nine and nine of the last 12. So you're saying to me better than two to one odds on, on just that probability. Okay. That's fine. It's worth a little. That's all. Kevin Clark, I just need to know, how do you think this thing's going to go this week? I think um, the United States of America is going to win based on the depth. Based on, you know, I was playing around. I don't go back to the strokes gain stuff, but over the past six months, there are three guys in Europe who are averaging over a stroke and a half gained, just in overall. There are 10 of those guys for America, including some guys like Sam Burns who didn't even make the team. It is, if, if America loses, then we should just, just not go to the Ryder Cup anymore. We should just, <laughs> we should, that should be it. This should be the last one. Like I, no! I'm in a fantasy, I'm in a fantasy soccer league, a, a premier league thing. And we were having dinner. So a couple of the guys on Saturday and we were talking about how it might like, it might be the last one. Cause this one guy just keeps winning and, and we just might not do it from now on. Like if we lose this Ryder Cup, we should have that dinner and say maybe we should just uh, let let the culture guys have their have their win. Well, and and look, we have this this we're now lined up for this um, the, this team competition thing where the President's Cup has kind of elevated itself because of 2019 that yes. fantastic experience in Australia and the President's Cup and, and Ryder Cup on offsetting. It's really lining itself up to to be. Quite delicious, but look, both of you guys have have driven down to to kind of a single proposition, and this is from our homie, uh, friend of the pod, Jason Sobel. He tweeted out yesterday: eight of the last nine winners of the Sunday singles competition have won the Ryder Cup. So it comes down to Sunday, and my question for each of you: eight of nine—that's pretty good, you know. Like if I if I could bet on that, I would. Um, my question to each of you. Who goes out first on Sunday for the U.S. and who goes out last on Sunday for the U.S.? Nate, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Who goes out first and who goes out last for the U.S. team? I put Morikawa out first and I put JT last. Okay. I love love me some me. Sure, sure. Kev? I was going to say JT first, Spieth last. Ooh, Spieth last. Interesting. Oh, you want Spieth spraying the ball all over the last four holes when it matters. I just want the grinding. I just want the grinding out there. He's got the mentality. He cares a lot. You know, I think that there are people brought this up this week, but how much these guys, and I know this ties more into culture, but someone like Fleetwood, where their entire worldview and their entire emotion and their and their mood is based on whether or not that they're gonna win the Ryder Cup or they have won the Ryder Cup. And we need as many guys like that as possible, just from a effort standpoint, from a grinding standpoint. I think Spieth 
getting out there, not allowing a bad hole. He might have a bad tee shot, but he's not going to have a bad hole because he really cares and he's going to grind. Um, and, and I kind of agree with, even though I was joking, I mean, I, I do think the Colin Morikawa is our most important guy because he's our best player right now. Um, if you were to say who who is going to be on the most, you know, the high, highest percentage of the next five Ryder Cups, uh, I there wouldn't be many guys I'd put above Jordan Spieth. And, and that's why I, I like him in big spots. So I I like that. And I like him in big spots, too. I'm so um, surprised that neither one of you said the two guys that I think are most likely to be the closer. Can't lay. No, are you are you out of your mind? Come what on, what are you going to say? <laughs> that guy, like, say? he hits it in the water on seventeen. I mean, th- that guy. Come on, I love Morikawa going off first. I personally had Spieth going off first um, for a set the tone and a guy that that's ready to have the whole team sort of climb on his back and really set some momentum. To me, the only two candidates, the only two candidates for closing it out are either DJ or Brooks Kepka. Like the the mm. two guys most impervious. To, to to pressure situations, the the guys most likely to to you know look at a situation, say I have to go win and and, and be able to deliver it for the U.S. Those two guys, I think, have a pretty good track record under those uh, circumstances. And what am I getting wrong? O- only only that maybe we should put Bryson off first to hit a 450 yard drive just to fire everybody up. <laughs> Just to make everybody go bonkers, batshit crazy. Well, he has to be the very first U.S. ball in the air on Friday, right? Don't we need Bryson to be the first ball in the air for the U.S. I, team? I, I think that's an undeniable uh, inevitability. Um, does that Ooh. upset Brooks? Does that upset Brooks and start to kind of kind of get him a little bit upset? Look, look do we here just we keep go. Those, here we just go. Keep those two guys out of the first ball in the air contest because you don't want to get either of them upset. So we're going to have Colin Morikawa hit a four iron T- down Tony the middle. Finau. Just, Tony, just nobody's upset when it's Finau. That's true. Nobody's upset when it's Finau. I don't know. I'm just thinking about Cantlay, how well he's playing. He he beat Raman Thomas at the Zozo. He just won FedEx. He's playing pretty damn well. If you want somebody who's going to just dispassionately go dismantle somebody, maybe he's maybe he's the right guy to put out first, but... Uh, I don't. I don't mind your point, which is that DJ and Brooks have been in it as much as anybody, and they've held their own. So uh, I, I just don't think it's even going to fucking matter who goes last because we're going to absolutely crush them. Yes, I we mean, are. Get, wow, call, so call both of you guys. We should put. Guys. We should put Fino out last just so he gets some confidence in a completely meaningless spot. It's going to be over by that time. Yeah, he, he had an excellent performance in France. I mean, he he's perfectly yeah. capable of being a a, a good Ryder Cupper. But what's the score going to? I mean, I'm in like 18 and a half to nine and a half territory oh my right God. now. Well, you know, you I can think bet this on that. is going to be odds for this. I think this is going to be a slaughter. I mean, if it's going to be close, House, where are you? Are you in like a. Oh, God. This is going to get. This is going to get. Ag- this is going to get aggregated into a video on Sunday night. <laughs> I think yeah. it's going to be super close. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's going to be a runaway at, at, at all. I, I've. I think the European team is formidable. Oh, no. I, I don't dismiss them. All they do is is beat our ass in the Ryder Cup. Like, yeah. w- why is it different now? I just I don't understand what uh, ha- has changed to make you guys so confident that we're going to kick ass. We might kick ass, but you know everything about this is untested. We don't have any anything to draw upon uh, as it relates to this venue under these circumstances with this set of players. So it just feels like an even matchup to me. 
I'm dying at Lee Westwood's 44 well, I wish there was some... Sergio's 41. Like, come on. We don't have anybody with more than 16. Yeah, that's but, right. But that I don't just know. means I mean, they're old. Old, yes. My, my back hurts reading the roster. All right, well, Nate, look, here, I'm going to give you some odds. You can, you can take the USA winning. If you think it's going to be a super ass kicking at 17 and a half to 10 and a half, you get that at 18 to one odds. 17 to 11 is is 12 to, 12 to 1 odds. Like, well, how, is it that kind of ass-kicking you're anticipating or something I, a little bit closer? I, I really think it's that kind of ass-kicking. I really 17 do. 17 to 11, 70, 17 and a half to 10 and a half. I mean, you know, that's better than 10 to 1 odds on your return. I like it. All right. Kev, I'm laying where, it down. Where, give us a number. Where, where do you think this is going to land? You also believe in a USA ass-whooping. What's the number going to be? Not 18. So first of all, I just want to say... I think about something Bill Simmons said to us on a green room like six months ago, because I was talking about the Ryder Cup and he was like, so Clark, you only care about gambling and the Ryder Cup with golf. That's the only prism you view it with. And I realized in that moment, that's correct to the point that I don't even think, I don't even think that that's, I don't think I can gamble on this guys. I don't think I can gamble on this. I think that I I want to view it as someone just first of all, it's going to be tough for me to even watch on Sunday because of the football, but Right. I, I, it, it's it's for me. It's the only true emotional experience aside from my own golf. Aside from when House and I uh, were playing at at Friars a couple weeks ago, and I choked on eighteen, and he took the match from me. But it, it's it's the only true emotional experience. So I have a tough spot land, a, a tough time landing on it. So I'd say like sixteen for America. All right, sixteen to twelve. Kevin Clark's on the record. That's twelve to one odds. I want it to matter, House. I really want it to matter. I don't want this to be an ass kicking because if it is an ass kicking, a lot of the lore of the Ryder Cup is gone around chemistry and all the other shit. I would love for this to be close and I would love for you to win money. I just like, what do you think the score is going to be? What is your best possible scenario? I think it's going to be close. I think it's like the the Europe um, jumps out to a lead. The US makes a furious comeback and Europe wins like 14 and a half to 13 and a half and that's available at 10 to 1 odds or Europe wins 15 to 13 and that's available at 12 to 1 odds. FanDuel.com. FanDuel Sportsbook is the best one out there. <laughs> that's my take. <laughs> well, if only gonna, there was a guy who had some data to help us think about this decision house. That's exactly right. We got our, our, our good buddy Justin Ray coming on here momentarily to walk us through some analytics, maybe change some of our thinking on on both sides of the, of the coin here. I'm open minded, like I like I said, I bet made this bet two months ago. I'm ready to to uh, be persuaded to hedge it in, in whatever direction makes sense. But Kevin Clark, as always, thank you for helping us get some of these big picture storylines worked out here. We're going to do a recap pod Sunday night. I'm inviting both of you guys to come on Sunday night, assuming that that football and other aspects of life don't get in the way. The Nashville Music Festival don't get in the way. I I can I can promise a cameo. Okay, cameo. There we go. Kev, always a pleasure and and hopefully we'll talk to you again on Sunday. I'm rooting for the US, just to be clear. No, yeah, absolutely. Loud and clear, bud. You just spent 30 minutes talking about Europe. You talked yeah, about the, you talked about the bets really. you made. You, yeah, yeah, man. You, you sons of bitches. You don't get to come to Nate and I's after party yeah, no on way. Sunday night. We're going to be fine. pouring fine. champagne into Phil's mouth. On- uh, <laughs> either way, I, I can drink uh, Smittix and, and Jameson either way. That, win or lose, that's a win for house. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Kevin. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. 
passion, drive, and patience, the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply this episode is brought to you by evernorth health services Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, my Eagle enthusiasts, it is not a big event unless we have this next guest on the Fairway Rolling podcast. It's not a major, but it is major golf. Justin Ray of the 21st group. What's happening, buddy? I can't believe it's finally here. We get to stop the consternation about who's going to be on the team, you know, who got snubbed, left off, and it's finally here. It's God, uh, you're getting a lot of Twitter bitching about it, aren't you? Like, people uh, yeah. are having real reactions to you just spitting facts. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, I think everyone feels like we've, we've got too much take in the sports world, and, like, I'm just presenting information. Like, I'm not telling you what's going to happen. Like, uh, so if I tell you that, you know, that the Europe has dominated in foursomes the last times they've won. I'm not saying they're going to do it this week. I'm just telling you a fact. So yeah, no, there's been some salty replies, but it's part of the fun, man. That's why it just shows how passionate people are and how excited they are for this event. Well, and, and not just that, but we are going to have gigantic crowds. Like it's going to feel like a Ryder Cup. Enormous crowds out in, in Whistling Straits. The, the stands they've erected look magnificent. The golf course looks magnificent. But before we really start getting into some Justin Ray facts, though, full full disclosure, uh, and this is worth you know doing a little bit of the backstory on because it's it's kind of fascinating. The 21st group, who you are employed by, is in fact supporting 
the Euro side with some information and some data and some analytics. And I will say that I did not invite you on just because I bet on the Euro side. I did that a long time ago. But uh, in, in the way of, of the support that the 21st group um, is providing to the Euro side, tell us a little bit about that backstory. Yeah. So it started before I joined the company. I, got, I joined in uh, 2019, but I met the guys originally at the Ryder Cup at Medina in 2016. And they were there helping out uh, Thomas, uh, Darren Clark with um, you know some analytics, some pairings information. Ultimately, the Americans played great that week. The course was set up for them to succeed and they ultimately won the Ryder cup, but the relationship was strong enough to where they played an even more significant role, um, with captain, uh, Thomas Bjorn in Paris in 2018. So, um, yeah, my team, uh, that I work with, uh, they, they, we had a handful of people fly over on the plane with team Europe. Um, they, we work closely with captain Harrington throughout the season, deeply embedded with the Euros. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're pretty, you're a pretty significant um, a player with Team Europe. It's 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 a full fledged member of the member of the team. So um, it's exciting, man. It's 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 a it's a really crucial part of of what we do in our backstory for our business. We've been able to grow since then and do a lot of really cool media stuff backing off of it. So, but having said all that, the conversation we're going to have today, and to get to to Nate's point about your Twitter feed, is just information data around what has led to success for the teams in the past. It's not predictive. We're, we're doing our best to come up with, you know, a sensible forecast. A lot of our birdie buddies out there would like to allocate a little capital on this coming event. And, and I'm, I'm one of them certainly. And I have my perspective on how all this may, may, may play out. Um, but we are interested in certain aspects of, of how you're processing this. And when I'm especially, the, the, the thing I want to start with is what struck me as a curiosity, and we just talked about this a little bit with Kevin Clark, that the venue for this event is, by all indications, a pretty linksy kind of uh, golf course situated on a lake where in late September, it's going to be cooler temperatures and it's going to be wind, wind on a daily basis. A lot of things that strike me as being the kind of things that might help a Euro side. Am I crazy, uh, uh, Justin Ray? This ain't, this ain't TPC Sawgrass in June. Like this is a, this is a little bit different animal in terms of um, it's not quite as malleable maybe of a golf course in terms of how setup would go as even – uh, Le Golf National was in Paris in 2018. Um, yeah, you make the point about it being kind of a links-ish type golf course. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, visually, there are some elements of it that, that give it kind of a links feel. I think the weather forecast, too, is especially interesting because if it was, you know, play in a dome, we're going to attack at every pin, then you've got to ultimately really favor the American side. But if the wind picks up, you get a little more adverse conditions, anything that could, you know, potentially throw off Bryson's sacred mathematical formulas, that kind of stuff. I think that really could, in turn, it helps the it helps the European side a little bit. You know, guys who are, you know, look, most of the European side, they all basically the whole team lives in Florida at this point anyway. So it's not like these are guys who are playing, aside from Bern Wiesberger, 11 of the 12 guys on Team Europe are, are primarily US-based players. So um maybe there's not a huge change there, but yeah, I do think that the conditions and the nature of the golf course may help benefit team Europe a little bit more and really kind of 
maybe lessen the advantage that the United States might have going into the week. So let's talk about that advantage. On paper, it looks like the U.S. has better players. The U.S. has younger players. And certainly the betting markets favor the U.S. You have way too much inside information to probably objectively make this case, but we're going to ask you to do it anyway. Talk me into Europe. Into Europe? Yes. I mean, they've won nine of the last 12 to start. Um, I'll tell you this. If you, wanna, if you want any kind of experience, I mean, there's tons of ways to break down how experienced the European side is in this event and how inexperienced the United States is. Lee Westwood has played for seven winning Ryder Cup teams. The entire American roster has played for three. I know, but so is Arnold Palmer. He's not playing this week. You wish he was, Nate. Lee Westwood and Sergio Garcia are, and they've been on a lot of winning teams. Now, I'm just saying they're closer to Arnie than they are to Scheffler at this point. <laughs> valid, valid. I will say, too, that the last two times the Europeans won, they absolutely throttled the United States in foursome. An alternate shot, they, they took a 13-3 to point advantage the last two times they won. They have a point differential of plus 24 since 2002, and it's spread across all formats. They're plus nine in foursomes plus three in four ball, plus 12 in singles. I mean, they've dominated this event top to bottom, regardless of venue, with the exception of a couple of years, 2008, where the U.S. roster was a complete anomaly from what it, what it has been over the last 20 years, and then when the United States won the last time they played on, on home soil. So um, I, could, I think I could, look, you look at the numbers and you say, okay, the United States roster is full of bombers, right? And this is going to set up perfectly for whistling straights, where, as I've said in the months leading up to this whistling straights in 2015, no golf course uh, had you benefit more from extra driving distance than whistling straights. So, right, you look at the U.S. roster and you're like, all right, we got Bryson DeChambeau, the longest driver of the golf ball in the world, mm-hmm. Tony Finau, Dustin Johnson. Add it all up, the average driving distance differential is four yards between the United States and Europe. It's not a club. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a, a catastrophic difference. Now, if you just isolate Bryson DeChambeau against Ian Poulter or Matt Fitzpatrick, okay, yeah, that's that's going to be a big differential. But I think ultimately, look, for the top five players in strokes gained off the tee on the PGA Tour last season, Aron, Bryson's number one, but then it was Rom, Garcia, Hovland, and McElroy. I mean, I, I just, I, I think that there are a lot of reasons to favor Europe. The course not being as malleable for Captain Stricker, um, the the kind of weather conditions we're seeing, and then just the vast amount of experience and the, and the resume you've got to go off of. Um, really investing in in positive outlook for Europe. Yeah. So Jr. You know, uh, Nate thinks the U.S. is going to kick ass and and uh, really whoop the Euros. And you know, part of that is is driven by the fact that we have six rookies. That he he thinks the inexperience is going to be uh, a benefit rather than a, a negative. One of the things that I was interested in your take on is. You mentioned the the last Ryder Cup in, in France, and I just want to remind everybody of the ex- extraordinary circumstances under which the U.S. team competed in, in that Ryder Cup. For whatever reason, the Ryder Cup was scheduled the week after the Tour Championship. I will never understand how that came to be, why it was. But what happened at the Tour Championship that year was Tiger Effing Woods, back from you know years of injury, uh, a winless streak, uh, unmatched for him, won the Effing Tour Championship 
The entire team was at Eastlake. They climbed on a plane and drank the whole plane ride from Atlanta, Georgia over to, to France and needed like three days to recover. Tiger never recovered. He had his ass handed to him the whole week long, uh, including in the singles. John Rahm, you know, at that moment said it was the single m- most uh, uh, prominent thing to happen in his golf life. He beat Tiger Woods in singles in France at least this year is not that very peculiar and I think anomalous kind of circumstance, which to me does argue in favor perhaps of of, of the U.S. side. Am I crazy about this? Yeah, except Rahm is now the one who's hung over. He just had a bender at, at <laughs> hey, the French But that laundry. hangover was last week. It, it is was. not today. <laughs> okay. Distant, a distant memory. He's, he's, he's strong as a horse. He'll be fine. He was probably his first time out of the house without his... Uh, or you know, in a hotel or whatever, without his new kid and his wife by his side, so he <laughs> got a little loose out there. But I, I, I who will, can blame okay, him? To your point, it's a great point about the scheduling. Literally, the most emotional thing that could have happened at the Tour Championship in 2018 is what happened. So basically, the most the thing that would extract the most energy or whatever from the United States team, including Tiger Woods, who was then a part of the team, happened that week. Right? I mean, it wasn't Justin Rose winning the FedEx Cup in parallel. <laughs> I don't think that got the the spirits as, as as riled up as as Tiger and the throng of a thousand people walking up the last fairway and all that stuff. Um, to Nate's point about rookies, he's absolutely correct. Over, since 2012, U.S. rookies have averaged about 20 percent more points per match than veterans. They have a much better record um, than the old guard per se, right? So, you know, rookies have really played really well for the United States in recent years. So I think they're, I, look, I think the most fascinating thing looking at these two rosters, it's, it, there couldn't be any more contrast, right? We talked about the inexperience versus the experience, but then you couple that with just the analytical statistical prowess. You take a look at basically any statistic breaking down the teams and the United States has a huge advantage, whether it's average and strokes gained approach, strokes gained putting, they have an enormous advantage. There's some really kind of shaky putting numbers on the European side from this season. I can definitely see why there's a lot of optimism for the U.S. side going into this. I also think, too, they've been a little more publicly forward-facing with how much they're relying on analytics. So they've got their own team on their side that are doing their due diligence with numbers, and I think they trust that process a little bit more as it's become more mainstream over the last couple of years. So um, you have you have every good re- you have good reasons to be bullish, Nate. I mean, there's a well, real there's a real possibility here that, you know, look, it's the highest collective world ranking for any team entering any Ryder cup, the United States. They're really deep. They're really talented. Everyone on the roster was 21st or better last season on the PGA tour in birdie percentage. Um, only three players on the European side can make that claim. Um, statistically. Yeah. You go into it. And from a stroke play perspective, U S team does look a lot stronger, but as we know, those stroke play numbers haven't translated very well to the Ryder cup. Recently. Well, that that's house right there. Uh, getting a little nervous with some of those stats because of his bet. Let's try to make him feel a little bit better. Over the weekend on Sunday, you and I were DMing about uh, what was happening in Napa because a lot of the statistical modeling had Homa at less than 3% chance to win through five holes. But as you and I were sitting there looking at it, looking at the leaderboard ahead of him and the guys behind him, we went, there's one guy on this leaderboard who really knows how to win, and it's Max Homa. And and we just sort of went back and forth over the course of the next two hours, knowing he was going to freaking win. So I ask you this when you come on a lot, but it takes on even more importance as you 
are thinking about how to find the chinks in this armor that you just laid out, how do you layer in a component for heart, for toughness, for will on top of the sort of statistical categories? Because clearly some of the picks that were made here were about those old guard guys who get the culture who are just fighters in ways that their statistics would never show. Otherwise, y- you wouldn't have made some of the picks that you did. So help us understand when you when you have the shots gain metric, but it's somebody with heart instead of somebody who you know is a rookie and is going to be a deer in the headlights. How do you sort of factor that in when you're doing the analytics? It's a good question, and there's never really a direct, perfect way to answer it. Um, and that's what makes it such a good question. Um, I'll say that I think, I think that the the character and the blending in with the team side with Team Europe, it's just kind of come with the success, right? I mean, I'll say that you know even before my company got on board, Paul McGinley relied really heavily on data and is a big numbers guy, and he was very he was very ingrained into it. Sticking to that process has generated the success that's kind of forged that kind of camaraderie and team character, right? And on this European side, look, there's always been a sense of this being more important for the European side than the American side, going all the way back into the 70s when basically the Ryder Cup was helping subsidize the purses for the European tour throughout the year. Like, it's just baked in the importance of it, where the United States... The 164 video was something else. Yeah. Correct, yeah. And whereas the United States, like, the PGA Tour doesn't run the Ryder Cup. It's run by the PGA of America. It's, It's a disjointed thing. It's just a different type of investment, right? And I think that, you know... Going back to it's a long-winded kind of circular way to get back to to the your question and the point I'm trying to make. Um, like a guy like Ian Poulter, right, is someone that would probably fit that mold. And you know, statistically, has he been awesome this year? In some places, he's been lacking. He hasn't had some of the high finishes. But what I will say is, a lot of the underlying metrics and data, he's got the best short game numbers over the last 12 months of any of the 24 players coming. Is that why season. he's here instead of Rose? I can't answer that question. I, I appreciate you digging, um, but through my own, uh, I, I can't, I, I don't want to say. Well, I mean, you don't have to reveal anything. Poulter's Ryder Cup record is way better than Justin Rose's. That's not hard. Rose's is pretty good too, you know. Yeah, but, pretty good. It ain't, ain't the same as, as the, one of the best. But you're not, yeah. you're not, you're not layering in a specific variable into the models for heart or experience there is some gut call based on what comes out or or do you think that you're able to actually model some of that chutzpah uh i don't think analytically you can i think anecdotally you can take it as a different element when you're making an evaluation between three four players for two spots or whatever it is where let's say the numbers are really close and they're telling you you know it's kind of a toss-up then maybe you can lean and use it as a deciding factor to make a choice but um, I can't say whether or not, you know, that, that last, that last pick, I know it was really tough for, for captain Harrington and um, it, it ultimately, we provide a tool for the toolbox, right? Like we're, we're an added resource for, for the captain, for the team. It's okay. The guys on the other side who were advising Stricker had a lied about having COVID variable. And that's why Reed got left <laughs> off the team. <laughs> Pour one out for the homie. Pour one. I'm wearing my 2018 masters cap. You can all see it. Pour, pour a little out. JR, one of the things we've been wrangling with in earnest is the seeming disconnect, the apparent disconnect between the modern young golfer who has to be his own independent business with a lot of mouths to feed. You know, they all walk around with an infrastructure now 
a physio, uh, a chef, uh, a swing coach, a putting coach. Every one of these guys has a, a full network underneath of him. And how do you reconcile that with a one time a year team event where, at, you know, you have to completely reset your mind. And this is, I think, what Brooks Kepka was trying to communicate, maybe not as artfully as, as, as folks would have liked in his recent interview with Golf Digest, which led to Paul Azinger saying that Brooks should go ahead and, and forfeit his spot. Um, you know, cause Zinger got to come out a little bit hot. I mean, you know, if we're, if we're calling it like, like it ought to be called Zinger has been a little flaccid this summer on the broadcast, the NBC broadcasts haven't exactly been hot take central. So I'm glad for Zinger to, to spice it up a little bit for Christ's sakes. It's why he's on television, but you know, there is an interesting kind of dynamic here where you're asking, it feels like more on the U S side than on the Euro side. These, these young guys who are used to a certain way of doing their business, handling their business, to come together uh, for one week and, and have more of a, a team element. What's your perspective on that? I think that, you know, if you glean um, some things from what guys like Sergio Garcia, uh, Ian Poulter, um, you know, even guys who are assistant captains like Luke Donald, what they've said about their Ryder Cup experience, they leave everything at the door, right? When they walk in and they put the blue on for Team Europe, they, they leave the swing coaches, the egos, whatever, you know, petty nonsense that, you know, grown men might develop competing against each other throughout the year. They leave it at the door, right? It's, it's a, it's a completely separate entity when you get on and wear, wear the blue and play for, for team Europe. And I think there's been over the years, a little bit less of a buy-in there from the United States side. Is that because of the magnitude and size of the, just, you know, the sheer greatness of some of the players and individual accolades of guys like Tiger, like Phil, um, even to a lesser extent, like a Jim Furyk or a Steve Stricker, who hadn't necessarily had a ton of success um, in the Ryder Cup. Is there, were they just more willing and easier to buy in because the Europeans always felt as underdogs and that brings them together? You know, it's a tough thing to answer. It's a thing that I know that the American side is, you know, really, at least the fans have, they've really wanted their guys to have more buy-in, right? And have more of an investment emotionally into it. And that, you know, that, that would help in the process of, you know, you're, you're a walking corporation for 51 weeks a year, but this one week when you're playing for your country or for your continent, you kind of leave it at the door and uh, just be one of the, one of the guys on the team. Well, the first bit of data that you quoted when we asked you to make the case for Europe was around Europe's historical success in foursomes. What is it about that format that you've got to look for to find somebody who's good? Is there a technical skill? Is there a stat? Is it just a guy who doesn't get pissed off at somebody else for hitting it in the woods? Like, is there something that is unique about that that makes somebody specifically tailored to be a great foursomes player? There are a number of things. I think probably the most important thing is finding skill sets that match and finding, you know, guys who are going to end up you're going to end up hitting the same type of shots throughout a match that you're used to hitting. Right. So um, I wouldn't pair two very contrasting types of players together. You know, I wouldn't pair, I don't know. I'll just take a, somebody from the past. I wouldn't pair Andy Sullivan on the European side with. This is a deep cut right here. Right. I was trying to think of a short player from recent history. Like I wouldn't take, yeah a really short player, put them with a really long player, but 
two two opposite sides of the spectrum don't necessarily make a right. Um, that's one of the concepts that I, I look at. Um, yeah, there's just so many different factors that go into it. And I think course fit is a huge deal. I think that, um, you know, guys, guys form going into the week can sometimes be big. I know that it looks like from the um, practice groupings that went out for the United States that it looks like they're, what they're going to do is pretty set. You know, it kind of, you know, if you got Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth going out together, Xander and Patrick Cantlay going out together, um, is, is, is Scotty Scheffler on Bryson duty? Yes, he is. And how do you feel about that? I feel for Scotty if that's the case. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I'm a guy, I don't know how, look, Bryson's putting out, he's trying to hit a ball to Canada on the range yesterday. You know, he's putting out distant speed training videos, getting ready for the long drive. That doesn't strike me. I don't know, personally, maybe he's totally all all in, but he was out there trying to hit a ball 230 miles an hour on the range by himself yesterday. I don't, that doesn't strike me as somebody who's, you know, invested into the team process and, and, and take turning over a new leaf for this week. I don't know. Scotty's game to fit everybody though. So who knows? You know, maybe yeah. All right. I mean, you know, he's doing the thing that makes him happy and has him comfortable. And we know for him, he's animated by more than anything else, what's going on in his own head. And so who, who, who knows? I mean, he, he does seem like a, a challenge as a, as a team player and maybe we won't see a ton of him in, in we, maybe he won't be in foursomes at all. And maybe, you know, we'll only see two, four balls on the singles out of him, or maybe we'll see one four ball. If I'm, if I'm in the U S captain's ear, he's not seeing the course on foursomes. That's why there's 12 guys. Led the PGA tour in, in birdie percentage last year. Like that, you, that's not the format, you know, save him and keep him fresh for, for four ball and those two sessions and see if he can go in a singles match. That's exactly right. Well, speaking of singles matches, uh, your podcast colleague, Jason Sobel, tweeted out this week. It's Jason Sobel. Very quick aside. Is he sober right now? Is it a sober Sobel? I mean, cause he was, he was out last night tailgating at that green Bay game. We know that, right? They were getting pretty loose Monday night football. I mean, <laughs> he I can't bl- really blame them, right? No, I can't. I mean, I would have had a handful of spotted cows myself. There, there you go. That's a good win, win in green Bay. Um, but, but Sobel tweeted out this week that eight of the last nine, winners of the Sunday singles has gone on to win the Ryder cup. Um, and so singles are obviously now some of that has to do with the lead that the team had coming in. I mean, obviously you can slice it and dice it, but that, that, that sort of raw, uh, data point eight of the last nine, a question that I put to Kevin Clark and to Nate, and I'm very, very curious in your answer to this on the U S side. So that you don't have to reveal anything. Who would you put out first on Sunday morning, and who would you put out last on Sunday morning? And I'm not I'm not thinking about this in terms of like we'll assume that it's it's close enough that the singles uh, outcome will determine the winner of the Ryder Cup. That's that's all that that's the only assumption I'm asking you to make. Okay, so let's say it's within a point, or or it could be within a couple points too. Couple sure. Points. Yeah. Right. So it's 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 in jeopardy. It's up in the air. Yeah. Man, going out first, I'm going to put Justin Thomas out first. I'm a big Oh, the big dog. Yeah, I'm I'm using the big bullet out of the gate, you know, and see because you want to see I have a feeling that that probably is going to be the same type of attitude that uh Captain Harrington might take is using I don't know, just that feels right to have Justin Thomas go out there first. I'm going to have Patrick Cantlay as my anchor. See? Um, well, you know, Nate said this and I poo-pooed it. Go I want to hear the articulation then let's discuss it a little bit. I still think I know he just won Player of the Year. You can debate whether or not he should have done that, or no, no, 
No, no chance. You can't yeah, debate I was just it. Putting that on a T for you guys. Um, <laughs> I still think he's wildly underrated. He's an incredibly consistent player. He has no statistical weaknesses. I think he's a lot tougher than people give him credit for. You know, dude broke his back and came back and won the FedEx Cup and is you know probably going to win a couple major championships in his career. I'm really interested to see him begin his Ryder Cup career. I think he could be a pillar of the team for the next 15 years. I'm going to have Patrick Cantlay as my last guy. I thought about Xander. I'll go with Cantlay. Wow. So no, none of us said Xander. I argued for either Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka as the anchor uh, on the idea that, you know, th- those on the one hand, DJ has got the most Ryder cup experience. Plus he's, he's implacable, right? You can't, you can't move that guy. You can't get any emotion out of him. And nobody has a better track record in, in majors than Brooks Kepka over the last five years. Now, does Brooks Kepka think this is a major? I have no idea. I mean, I can't, I can't say one way or the other about that, but I did not think Cantley. And the reason, here's why I hold uh, some reservation out about Patrick Cantley. Both at Caves Valley when he won, uh, beat Bryson head to head, and at the Tour Championship, both both of the most important. So at East Lake, with the outcomes in doubt. He bogeyed the 17th hole. He hit it in the water on 17 at Caves Valley. And then he, he you know, uh, had a missed hit that was very fortunate, hit the tree and dropped straight down, and he hit it over the green at Eastlake on, on 17. DJ choked away a major at this very course. I, don't, I just don't feel uh, – uh, hold on a second now. He hit the he he put his golf club down in a dirt patch that they had the nerve to call a bunker. So they're how doing dare it again you? this week. Did you they're watch Patrick Cantlay putt in that playoff? So that was marvelous. That's right, but it doesn't wipe away the fact that Br- Bryson DeChambeau should have been up two stro- two strokes going on to the 18th tee yes. at Case Valley. That's all. That's all. I, that that's that's it. My retort to you suggesting Kepka, how concerned are you about his wrist injury? This wasn't that long ago that he had to withdraw. Concerned. For yeah. sure. Of course. I, I, I don't I'm I'm we'll know by I, Sunday. I think he's though. I honestly think Brooks is kind of house money this week for the United States because of that. Because you don't really know what you're gonna get. If you get something really positive, it's it's kind of a bonus. But I don't think he's the guy that they're gonna need to be, you know, relying on to win a ton of points. I think that's Thomas, that's Cantley, that's Xander Shoffley. I think Daniel Berger is going to be really interesting. I think that he's probably, aside from Justin Thomas, he's the only other guy on the U.S. roster you could see whipping the crowd into a frenzy. So I think he's somebody who could be exciting this week. Um, I'll, I want to talk about Dustin Johnson for a minute because yeah, there's an aspect to DJ going into this Ryder Cup that we're not talking about a whole lot. I haven't heard spoken about. And maybe it's because he's still the second-ranked player in the world. But his underlying metrics this season on the PGA Tour – were not good by his standards. Dustin Johnson actually ranked better in strokes gained putting last season than he did in strokes gained tee to green. That is not mm-hmm. Dustin Johnson like. He had his worst strokes gained off the tee ranking since 2013. He had his worst strokes gained tee to green season since 08. He was pretty elite as a putter though, right? He wa- it was top 30. He had an exceptional year putting. I'm just saying but, 29th for Dustin Johnson. Yeah, strokes not good. I'm not saying that's bad. It's not. It's still very, very good. It's just not the Dustin Johnson that we've grown accustomed to seeing over the last 10 years or so. So, I mean, does he does he play great golf, find it this week, and it's the guy who set all the master scoring records like 10 months ago? It could be. But I'm just saying, you know, the last six months or so, Dustin Johnson hasn't necessarily been as consistently great as we're used to seeing. 
I feel like Bryson's going to surprise us this week. It's going to be the first week in a long time when every single person in the crowd is really pulling and cheering for him. And he sort of seems to want to step into that. I mean, he won't, but he wants to step into that Captain America mantra. He's sort of been, you know, uh, oh, I, I want to play for my country. Obviously, the the Olympic thing put a little scratch in that. I wouldn't be surprised to see him outperform this week. But uh, as we talk about the actual scores, you have a lean on, is this thing going to be close? Is it going to be blowout? Like, how do you really, do, do, are you, have, do you run simulations for this? What do we do? Um, I think it's going to be a close one. Um, I, I really just think it's so intriguing, like I said, because of the stark contrast in the two rosters, right? One side, experienced, uh, has the has the resume at this event, uh, but certainly from an analytical perspective is a clear underdog in Team Europe. And then the other side, the United States, who has just this 20 years of underachieving in this tournament based on the perception of them, their world rankings, and how much deeper the team is. But statistically going into this, they seem like so much, so far superior than, than the European side. It's just a brilliant back and forth there. Um, the key format I'm looking at, if the United States can just split foursomes in the first on, on day one. I think they're in an unbelievable position because foursomes is where the Europeans have separated themselves in recent years going in this event. So um, if the United States is able to break even in foursomes on day one, I think Europe's really in trouble. That's, that's a lot. There's a lot of pressure early on on Europe to get a little bit of an advantage there um, in that, in that format they've succeeded so much in. That sounds like to me, if we're going to try and give some advice to all the birdie buddies, all the par saving pals, all the Eagle enthusiasts out there, it's too early in this Ryder Cup preview week to give actual advice about betting the head to heads because we don't have the, the captains have not announced the matchups yet. But if you're looking to, to go ahead and get an early wager in it, either side that you prefer, you can get near 10 to one odds on a close match. You can pick the U.S. at, at, at you know, uh, 15 to 13. You can pick the, the Euros at 14 and a half to 13. Those are all around you know, between 9 to 1 and 12 to 1 odds. And so maybe if you're, if you're believing in the thesis, the, the narrative that our, our fantastic homie Justin Ray is writing out here for us, then then that that's the direction to go. You is that is that the direction to go, Jr. I think we're due. I mean, I'm just quickly pulled up the results. The last three Ryder Cups were all decided by five points or more. Um, before that, it was one point, one point in 2010, 2012. Just feels like we're due for that. Um, I think that this course has generated some good drama at the major championships it has held. You know, Jason Day pulled away really late in that PGA Championship at Whistling Straits, but. There was a whole cast of really talented players right there the whole entire week. And then, of course, we, we recounted what happened to DJ and then the uh, the playoff between Martin Keimer and Bubba Watson. That was a great – I know we remember it for what happened to Dustin, but it was actually a really dramatic Sunday too. So um, I think it's going to be close. Um, I'm really interested to see what the golf course looks like. One fact I got to get out there about the golf course, the opening hole I think is going to be really – it could be very telling as to what the Americans want to do. It's currently on the scorecard set up about 50 yards shorter than it was at the PGA Championship. If that's kind of indicative of the way they're going to set up the golf course, all right, we're going to let Bryson go for the green and one. We're going to take whatever Pete Dye did to protect either side of a missed take fairway, it out. 290 away, not a problem now. We're just going to bomb it right over it. If that's kind of indicative of what we're going to see throughout the week, that could definitely benefit the Americans, obviously. 
we'll see how that setup goes. But I thought that was really interesting to see that opening hole short to about 350, 345, down from about 400 yards. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we have one last piece of info in addition to course setup that people should wait for, and that is that dinner pick where they get dressed up in dresses and tuxes. <laughs> we got to see who looks like a donkey. We got to see who brought a date. We, we, we have a lot to, to learn about the, the mental state of these people from that picture. There's that picture from, I can't remember if it was Ryder Cup or President's Cup where Ricky had not yet met his wife and he's got the shrug shoulders while everybody else yeah, is giving a kiss. Yeah, 2016 Ryder Cup. Yeah. I mean, come on. That is the best photo ever. So we, we have a lot still to learn. If you're actually going to put money down, you want to know who brought who to Whistling Straits. I like that. Wait, well, I, I know we brought our heavyweight, Justin Ray, and, and, and Kevin Clark here to Fairway Rolling for this Ryder Cup preview, my birdie buddies. We can't do it any better. Stay tuned. We'll probably do a green room Saturday night because Nate will not be able to help himself. Some kind of intrigue Saturday night will be occurring. We'll, we'll try and grab Kevin Clark away from the college footballs and jump on it. Maybe the podfather himself will be get, get uh, excited for, for this Ryder Cup. And then Sunday night, we'll be back with a quick recap pod for all of you our thanks as always to kevin clark to our homie justin ray and the nate dog until next time my birdie buddies usa usa let's hit him straight out there This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.